Part three today, I want to talk to you about bigot roots. Now, when I told my wife I was preaching on bigotry, uh, she didn't know what that meant. So I've given you a definition so you can see what it means. Bigotry is one, a bigot is one who is hateful toward members of a group such as a racial or ethnic group or hateful towards somebody that has different opinions as yours. We have to um, learn how to handle bigots. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach you a scripture today that I think most Christians use the wrong way. But it's going to take a lot of brain power and, and, and brain cells to really get it. So you might have to listen to it over again, but it's really powerful. Okay? So we know the scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 7, and I'll put it on the screen. Matthew 7, 2 through 5 says this. And I know you know the scripture. It says, with the same measure you judge and criticize others, you will be judged and criticized. Now, it was so funny, we, we, we Christians use this scripture and they think it means this. You can't judge me. Yep, that's right. You shouldn't judge me. That's not what it says at all. In fact, it says that you can judge people. In fact, biblically, the church is supposed to judge and say this is right and this is wrong because the world doesn't do that. The world says some things are right that we know is wrong. It's the church's job. There's two things a judge does. A judge determines right or wrong and a judge determines the sentencing. The sentencing is the part we don't do. Remember with the woman caught in adultery, Jesus said, first, first without sin, cast the first stone. That was the sentencing part. You can't do that. But you can judge what's right or wrong. Okay? So it goes on to say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First. So if you want to be able to help somebody and say, this is right and this is wrong. Tearing down national monuments or breaking into places or um, a policeman killing someone. This is wrong. We can say this is wrong. But first, here's what we got to do. Take the log out of our own eye. Then we can see clearly to remove the speck from our brother's eye. Okay. This is one of the most humbling scriptures on conflict. So Dylan's going to come up here and help me. Dylan represents my brother. He represents um, my, my, my child. He represents my friend. He represents my enemy. He represents, if I'm a Democrat, he represents the Republican. If I'm black, he represents white. If I'm American, he represents Mexican. If I, whatever, he's representing the person I'm in conflict with, okay? This is the most incredible scripture on conflict ever. According to this scripture, this is where it takes a lot of brain power, there's three points of view in this scripture. There are three different perspectives, okay? And you might can see it on your handout, three perspectives. There's my perspective. There's their perspective, you know, those people are their perspective. And then there's God's perspective. OK, according to the scripture, because I'm reading the scripture. OK, John Paul is reading this. I'm reading this. So Jesus speaking to me. OK, who do I think? And there's here's my speck of sawdust. OK, it's a little part of a pencil. Who do I think has the speck in their eye? I think I do. Right? The first service got the answer quick. So, Y'all got to really pay attention. Okay. okay. Who do I think has the speck of sawdust? Me. Who do I think has the log in their eye? They do. Right? Them. The one that disagrees with me. The one that doesn't see things the way I see it. They have a log in their eye. Okay? Now, remember, I'm reading the scripture. Who do they think has the speck in their eye? They think they have the speck. Who do they think has the log in their eye? They think I have the log. Okay, so so far we're different on opinions. But this scripture wasn't just written to me. This scripture was written to you as well, right? This scripture was written to Republicans and Democrats, right? It was written to Americans and Canadians, right? It's for everybody. So who does God think has the speck? Nobody. Who does God say has the log in their eye? We both do. Everybody's got the log in their eye. And when it comes to conflict, when it comes to trying to reach somebody and help, because you can't help the whole world. You see these things on social media. You can't help the whole world. But you can ask God to change your heart, and you can bring God in the paradigm with someone you have a relationship with, or you build a repertoire. A rep, a, 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 a repertoire? Repertoire? Anybody know how to spell that? doesn't matter. So you can only ask God. And so there's the people you have influence on. So here's what God's saying in the scripture. Anytime you're in conflict, you are never allowed to first bring up your point of view. Never. If you ever are going to reach someone's heart, you have to first pull the log out of your own eye. Who says I have a log in my eye? 
They say I have a log and God says I have a log, right? Which means I first have to hear it from their heart before I ever share mine. Then after I hear from their heart, I got to hear what God says. I'm last. It may take years for me to ask him, why do you feel this way? What happened in your past? What happened with your grandparents? What happened with your, your nationality, your race of people? Your, how were you raised? Why do you feel this way? Where's this pain coming from? I need to do all. It may take months, weeks, years for me to hear their heart and understand why they feel that way, understand why they think that way, and understand who either deceived them or who poured in or whatever. I got to understand all of that because he says I have a log. So I got to pull this log out. Here's who else says I have a log. God says I have a log. Nobody's got a speck. Nobody has a speck. We all think we have a speck. But all, we all have love. So after I hear from his heart, then I got to say, God, what do you say about this? Well, God will say things like this. Well, um, I love that person. They need to learn how to maybe forgive something. Maybe you need to share with them something painful you went through. Maybe you need to re repeat their heart back to them over and over. It may take a long time for me to hear his heart and hear God's heart. And after I've done all that and they're satisfied that this log has come out of my eye, then I can say, Here's my heart on the matter. And that's how you reach somebody, especially bigots in life. So thank you so much, Dylan. You did good. And I want to give you another point to help you understand this illustration. Um, I'm holding, if you're listening by audio, I'm holding a two-liter soda bottle. Um, I want everybody in here, as loud as you can, to tell me uh, what this soda bottle says. Go. Coca-Cola, right? Okay, listen. I don't see that. I don't see, I don't see that. I see, please recycle. I see proof of purchase and then some words that are too small to read. So I, that's what I see. I don't see Coca-Cola. We're looking at the same bottle. We're looking at the same thing. I don't see what you see. The only way I'm going to see what you see is if I take the time to go around and sit next to you and look at it from your point of view, only then can I see the way you see. And after I've done that and you're satisfied, then we can talk about later what my point of view is. Everybody understand that point? Okay, good. So that's that again. Okay, I got five points today. Normally I have three. The last two points are free. So here we go. Number one is this. We all came from God. We all came from God. It's very important when you're deal, dealing with bigotry, if it's in your own heart or someone else's heart, you realize we all came from the same place. We all came from God. There were six days of creation and then the seventh day he rested, okay? During that time, God made some things and God created some things. Everybody say the word made. made. Everybody say the word created. created. Okay, there's a difference. The theological definition of creation or creating or created is to make something from nothing. Only God can do that. Only God can create. You can't create and I can't create. Satan cannot create. Uh, one of the words to describe Satan is the word wicked. It's where we get the word wicker for furniture. Wicker furniture is twisted. It's okay if you own wicker furniture. So don't be shocked. Wicker furniture is twisted. It's manipulated. Okay? Satan, who is wicked, he can take the word of God, which was created from nothing by God. He can take that and he can twist it. Because that's what he does. Satan can take something God created like sex and he can twist it. And, and make us believe something, things for sure. He can take marriage and he can tw and Satan twists it. What God created, Satan can twist and manipulate. He can do it with friendships, relationships. He does it with money. God created gold, Satan can twist it. This will make you happy. Okay, so Satan does it. We can't create. We can only make. You can't create a, a piece of pottery. You can make it because it's coming from something else. Only God creates things from nothing. Genesis 1-1, God created. In the Amplified, it says, forming from nothing, the heavens and the earth. They are made from nothing. No matter how far you dwindle back the atom or the cell or how quick, it still came from nothing. It came from God. God created. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light. There was light. Light came from nothing. It was created. Everybody say created. When you and I um, paint something, we cannot create the painting. We can make a painting. Because the, even the paper it's on came from trees created by God, made by God. Okay, So all we can do is make. All, we, all Satan can do is make. Only God creates. But during the seven days, God created some things and he made some things. Let me show you something that he made. Here's something he made. Uh, verse 11, God said, let the earth 
bring forth grass, vegetation, plants, and yielding seed. God didn't create the plants. He made them. Because he made them from something he already created. Why did God make some things and why did he create some things? He made things. When he made things, he spoke to the thing he wanted to come from. He wanted it to be sustained by that thing. And he wanted it, when it dies, to go back to that thing. Trees were made from the earth God created. Because God wanted trees to come from the earth, be sustained by the earth, and go back to the earth. We're on the same page, right? Verse 20, God said, let the waters produce living creatures. God did not make, uh, God did not create the whale. He made the whale. The sea creatures made, they came from the thing God spoke to the thing. He said, I want it to come from the water. So the sea creatures came from the water because God wanted them to be sustained by the water. And God wanted them to go back to the water. God didn't say, um, let the whale be. He didn't do that. He said, whale, you're coming from the waters. Verse 24, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. The creatures that are roaming your dog was not created. It was made. It came from the earth because God wanted it to be sustained by the earth and go back to the earth. Okay? So God spoke to what he wanted it to come from, be sustained by and return to. Here's why this is so important. Listen, when God made us, he spoke to himself. He said in verse 26, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right, the Trinity, make, not create, make man in our image according to our likeness. Because he wanted us to come from him. He wanted us to be sustained by him. And he wants us, when we die, to, when our bodies die, to go back to him. That's great, right? Okay, so imagine with me that a, a bush or a plant or a rose says to the earth that it was made from. I'm pulling out of this relationship. You know, we've been hanging out for a while, and I think I'm better on my own. So I'm going to go off on my own. What would happen to that bush, tree, plant? What would happen to it? It would die. Remember when God said, you know, you eat from the fruit, you'll die. And you think, well, they did, but they didn't die right away. They lived for hundreds of years. No, they died right away. Their spirits died immediately. Because the second you clip a beautiful rose from the rest of the bush, the minute it is taken away from that bush, life stops flowing through it. And it's actually dead. You don't see the death for a few days as it withers away, but it died immediately because it was cut off from the source in which it came from. This is what it's like for people roaming around earth that are not Christians or believers. They don't realize that they're dead. And they're trying to pull some water from this relationship. And they're trying to pull some joy from this money over here. And they're trying to pull some life from this plant food over here. And they don't realize you're cut off from the thing you came from. You're not a part of it anymore. You've been cut off. If you would get back in that relationship from which you came, you could be sustained and go back to that very thing. Ephesians 2.1 says, you who are alive, you were once dead. All of y'all used to be dead. You said, no, I was born from my mama. No, no, no. You were, you were not ever born until you were really born from Jesus Christ. Your body may have been alive. Your spirit was completely dead. You were dead in sin until Jesus came. So, so. We all came from God. So far, there's no bigot roots, right? So far, we all came from the same place. Well, here's point number two. We all came from Adam. We still all came from the same place, right? Uh, Acts 17, 26 says this. Uh, for, from one man, God made all nations, or that Greek word is ethnos, ethnicity, who live on earth. So we all came from Adam. Genesis 2, 7 says God formed man, and this is his body, from the dust of the ground. Why did God make our bodies from the earth? Here's why. He wanted our bodies to be sustained by the earth and then go back to the earth. Our bodies, are our spirit sustained by God, our bodies are sustained by fruit and vegetables and ice cream and things that come directly from the earth. Because grass is eaten by cows, cows give milk, and milk makes Ice, so ice cream is just processed salad. It's actually what it is. So this is where our bodies came from. <laughs> so our bodies all came from the same place. Now here's the interesting thing about Adam. is um, The name Adam actually means red earth man. Listen, if I asked you what color is the sand, you would say white or yellow, right? Like me. If I said what color is dirt or soil, you would say black. 
But if I said, what color is the dust of the ground in which Adam came, you would say brownish, red, you know, gray, tan, something like that, right? That's what we'd all say. Do you know, and it's so interesting, we think, especially Americans think the whole world is in a, like our bubble is. Do you know that white, what we call white people, that is not the predominant race of the world? This is actually a minority when it comes to the world. The predominant race is actually brown or red. What we would say looks like the dust. That's actually the predominant race of the world. So, so far there's no bigot roots, right? We all came from Adam. We, we all bleed red. We all bleed the same color. And on top of that, every one of y'all got brown people skin in your family. We all came from the same color person, right? Physically, our bodies. Okay, what about this number three? We all came from Noah, right? God started all over again with Noah. So um, I, in Genesis 6, God starts all over. Now, I have a, I have a question for you. For those of you that are um, theologians, I'm going to ask a question. And if you get it wrong, we're all going to point and laugh at you. So make sure you get it right before you answer. How many people were on the ark? Eight. Noah and his wife, there are three sons, and each one of them had... Y'all see the movie with, um, what's the guy that got in trouble for punching somebody? Russell Crowe, yeah. No, y'all didn't see the Noah movie? <laughs> I don't know if it was accurate or not. What I should have said was, don't y'all read the Bible? Um, so there were eight people on the ark, okay? Noah and his wife, and then their three sons, and they, so there were four couples on the ark. It says in Genesis 6, 10, and this reminds me of the three stooges because one of the three, remember the three stooges, the fourth cousin, his name was Shem or something like that. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, Adam was the most brilliant man other than Jesus and Solomon who ever existed. Adam named every species of animal. Amazing. Noah wasn't that bright. Okay. Noah had a heart. Noah, remember, Noah's the one that got drunk and naked after the ark. Remember, read your Bibles. Noah had a problem naming his kids. He had three kids. Okay, here's how creative he is. His son Ham came out of the womb black. And so Noah named him black. Because Ham means hot, black, or burnt. Japheth comes out of the womb and he's white. So Noah says, I will name him white. At least, at least they put a Y in there to name him whitey or something that's, you know, more catchy than that. But Japheth means fair, light skin, or white. <laughs> Shem comes out. And Noah's like, what's his name? And his wife was probably like, name, name, name. Let's name him name. Now, Shem means, and I'll tell you why in a second. Shem means name. The reason this is so interesting, and you might want to write this down, is when they got off of the ark, Ham and his wife, and of course their descendants, they went to Africa. Africans come from Ham, who comes from Noah. Japheth and his wife and their descendants, of course, after them, they all moved to Europe. Read your Bible. It is in your Bible. Japheth and his white family goes to Europe, but they all came from Noah. Shem and his wife and family, they moved to Asia, where there's reddish-brown skin tone people. Out of Shem comes Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, or Israel, Jesus came out of Shem, who came out of Noah. And Jesus, listen to how prophetic Noah was. He named his children based on where they moved, where they were going to move. That's, how, that's prophetic there. Shem, whose name is named, which Jesus came from Shem. Remember, Jesus is called the name above every name. It was prophetic. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. I mean, if you actually study, um, um, uh, is it melatonin? No, what's the what's pig, pig, pigmentation of skin? You'll discover that people with dark skin, they live healthier and better where there's a lot of sun. Africa. You know, people with white skin, they live better where there's not as much sun. Europe. I mean, this actually, the, the way they, they went, it's amazing how God led these people. Here's the point. Well, we all came from Noah. We all came from Noah. Now, here's what's very interesting as well. Let me turn. Let me get my notes here. Um, you can't get a black child from two white parents. You can't get a white child from two black parents. But you can get a white child and a black child from either two brown parents 
or one white parent and one black parent. So scientifically, Noah and his wife were either black and white or they were both brown. It's the only way you can get a black child, a brown child, and a white child. So guess what? Now we all got white and black people blood in every single one of us. We all came from Noah. Let me say it this way. We're all related. We're family. We're family. We should want to hear people's point of view in their heart and hear what happened to them in their past. We should want to hear that if we want to bring healing. We shouldn't want to point fingers and I hate you and I can't believe you're doing this and you're wrong. We should want to take the time. Okay, here's where the bigotry lies, I think. Point number four. We all came from our parents. We were raised by people who may have some racist roots inside of them. And um, the way that I think that the best way you can tell, and we, you should want to know if you have any kind of bigot roots inside of you, the best way we can tell is if we ask ourselves, would I be just as okay if my child married someone from the opposite skin color as our family? Just as okay as I would if they married someone of the same skin color. I believe that's the best way to tell what's really inside of your heart concerning People of other races. Now, here's what, a lot of white Southerners who are Christians are ignorant in this area and what the Bible says. So let me help you understand what the Bible says. The Bible does not forbid interracial marriage, just so you know. It forbids interfaith marriage. In other words, you can date any color person you want to date, but they better be a Christian. Or it's unbiblical. You can be best friends and have an inner circle with anybody you want to. Any, 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 any race you want to, but they better be Christians or it's unbiblical. You can marry any nationality, any race, but they better love Jesus. Because if you're friends or you're dating or you're married to somebody who has not loved Jesus and is not a Christian, then uh, your only goal, your only goal is to bring them to Jesus. Not to have fun, uh, not to, um, you know, uh, point them in the wrong direction. Uh, not to, your only goal is to bring them to Jesus through integrity, through being a light, through prayer, through inviting them to church, whatever you can possibly, that's your only goal. If they're not a Christian. Um, so here's some things about bigotry in the Bible you may not know. Bigotry rejects the great commandment. John 13, 34 says, love one another. You can't do that if you're a bigot. Bigotry rejects God's eternal home. God, I don't like the way you've decorated your home. Well, let me ask you this. Do you want to live there? Because you better like it. Because it says in Revelation 5, 9, every tribe, tongue, and people and nation are in heaven. So you better get used to it now. Bigotry rejects the very purpose of Jesus. John 3, 16, God loved the world. He gave his son. Not just Americans, not just white people, not just black people, the whole world. Bigotry rejects the Great Commission, Matthew 20 and 19. You can't make disciples of all ethnos or all ethnicity or all people if you have bigot roots inside of you. And white people don't know this, but there's a lot of dark-skinned people in the Bible. My favorite is in Mark 15, 21, Simon of Serene. Serene is modern-day Libya, African. He was an African happened to be coming into the countryside and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Now, every day that I read, I read my Bible every single day. I read my ones at home. This one I have here just in case I need it while I'm preaching. Every day I read my Bible. And as I do, I, I have a, such an imagination. I've done this since I was a child. I always put myself in, in the story I'm reading. Always. I've killed Goliath a thousand times. I've used crossbows. I've used guns. I've killed him a thousand times. Um, I've walked on water dozens of times. Um, I've been in the upper room and just sat in the corner and cried at what I was witnessing hundreds of times. Um, I've been swallowed by a whale, but not three days. It was just a few minutes because I couldn't take it. But if God said to me, if he said, John Paul, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm, I'm going to put you in, in the life of someone else. You get to pick anybody in the whole Bible. Anyone you want, and it's just for a few hours, what scene, what story, who, who do you want to be? Over and over again, thousands of times over again, I would always choose the same exact person, Simon of Serene. The greatest honor ever bestowed upon a human being was asked of this man, this black man, to carry the cross of my Savior, up to Golgotha. What an amazing task for God to give someone to help carry the weight of his son's cross. Amazing.
Numbers 12.1, Miriam, the worship leader, the sister of the pastor, criticized her brother Moses for marrying an Ethiopian woman. And the Lord heard. In verse 9, the Lord was angry. And so Miriam's skin suddenly turned leprous for seven days. God said, you got a problem with somebody's skin? I'm going to segregate you. And Miriam was segregated from the rest of the group. Now, y'all in here, y'all going to have to use your imagination, okay? It's, it's, it's been great. Crazy, okay? Can you even imagine what it would be like to have like a disease or a virus or something like that in which you can't be around people and you have to social distance yourself and be away from everybody that you like and love? Can you even imagine what that would be like? You have two million people you're friends with and you're leading, but because of something that's on you, you can't be around them? Imagine how horrible that would be. You know, what's going on in our world is going to, um, it's, it's not going to stop. And we think a lot of times that, well, time will take care of it. You know, in 30 years, we'll forget about this and we'll forget about slavery. We'll forget about segregation. We'll forget about apartheid. We'll forget about what's going on now. We'll, we'll just, time will, I, have a, I have news for you. Time does not heal anyone. It actually makes it worse. Time with Jesus does. Uh, time actually makes the bitter roots get deeper and deeper and deeper. Only Jesus heals. Psalms 147.3 says the Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The only way we're ever going to be able to help anybody is to bring Jesus into the paradigm. Only he can, only he can heal. Only he can heal. So, um, in closing, here's what my thought is. I don't think that any of you in here are racist or bigots or anything like that at all. I don't think that at all. I think you don't have a problem with skin color. I'm going to paraphrase uh, MLK Jr. Uh, sentence. I think you have a problem with the character of a person. Not the skin color, but the character. In other words, I don't think any of you are upset that a white police officer killed a black man. I think you're upset because a man unjustly killed another man who was supposed to serve and protect. That's your problem. You don't have a problem with white people or black people that are breaking into places or tearing down monuments. You got a problem with people, Americans. That's what you got people doing these things. It's not about their skin color. It's about their character. That's what we have a problem with. And we're the church and we should have a problem with that. So how do we handle this anger, this sometimes hatred, this so disgust that we have with these people in which we should be, if we ever meet any of them, taking the time to hear their heart, hear their side, help bring Jesus into the paradigm? How in the world can we do that when we're filled with such anger toward what's going on around us? Here's point number five. We all have to forgive. It all starts with having to, it all starts with forgiveness. We have to. We have to, we have to, we have to. Now, I underline the word have up here because I know this goes against my point, but we actually don't have to forgive. To be real honest, you don't have to forgive. Even as Christians, you don't have to forgive. You only have to forgive if you want your sins to be forgiven. Now, if you don't want your sins to be forgiven, hey, hold on to it. All you want to. Talk about it. Share it. Tell everybody about it. Post it over and over again. Yeah, you don't have to forgive unless you want your sins forgiven. Matthew 6, 14, if you forgive others, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive others, God won't forgive the wrongs you've done. I have a lot of wrongs I need to be forgiven, which is why I am very quick to forgive others. Okay, so let me close with this. Um, we're trying to hear people's heart. We're trying to hear their side of it to understand. If we flippantly disregard um, racism, uh, segregation, apartheid, slavery, we, if we just, just, just get over no big deal, um, we will never be able to truly reach that person to heal their heart and bring healing. I'm just curious. Does anybody here know um, when, the, when the desegregation of schools in South Carolina took place, the year it took place? Did you know it was in the 60s? That wasn't that long ago. That really wasn't that long ago. 1963 to 65 was when finally South Carolina um, desegregated the public schools. That was, just a, that was like 15 years, 13 years before I was born. That wasn't that long ago. And we think, we think things like, what, there was a rumor going around about a decade or two ago that the Holocaust never occurred. Oh, the Holocaust, no, there's something fake the Jews made up. People feel sorry for them. Whoa, man. Have you ever studied Auschwitz? Have you ever talked to a Holocaust survivor? If you ever, um, um, if, if you even look up pictures of Auschwitz, you will see heaping piles of children's eyeglasses 
that were taken off their face, their teeth that didn't burn in the ovens that they were put in. Um, you'll see their shoes, piles of people's shoes. They were taken off their feet before they were tortured in gas chambers. And once you hear that person's already, you see what happened, and you study what really took place with this group or this ethnic group. Once you realize that, you'll realize that you'll start taking it personal because it happened to people. It's not just an event in history that didn't happen or that hurt. It happened to people. And when you recognize it happened to people, you recognize this. We all came from the same place. And when something hurts a person, you take it personally because that's your relative. That we, we, they, from Noah or from Adam or from God, it, you take it personally. So I want to close my last point with a video. Now, this video was an hour long, and I've dwindled it down to five minutes. Okay, it's five minutes, so don't get too antsy. So I want you to see this video to prove my last point, and we all must forgive. I was born in 1934, one of a pair of twins. We got down from the cattle car. People were selected to live or to die. People crying, pushing, shoving, dogs barking. And as I turned around, I realized that my father and my two older sisters were gone. Never saw them again. We were holding on to mother for dear life. And all I ever remember is seeing my mother's arms stretched out in despair as she was pulled away. I never even said goodbye to her, but I did not understand that this would be the last time that we would see her. Only Miriam and I were left holding hands and crying. We were Mangala twins, which we found out later on what that meant. I was used in two types of experiments. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they would put me naked in a room with my twin sister and many other twins up to eight hours a day. They would take us to a blood lab. They would tie both of my arms to restrict the blood flow, take a lot of blood from my left arm, and give me a minimum of five injections in the right arm. The content of those injections, we didn't know then, nor do we know today. My legs and arms were swollen and very painful. I was trembling as the August sun was burning my skin, and I had huge red spots covering my body. The hospital was another barrack, but it was filled with people who looked to me more dead than alive. For the following two weeks, I have only one clear memory, crawling on the barrack floor, because I no longer could walk, and crawling to reach a faucet with water at the other end of the barrack. And as I was crawling, I would fade out in and out of consciousness, telling myself, I must survive, I must survive. Miriam, when I got back, she was sitting on the bed, staring into space. When I asked her what happened to you, she said, I cannot talk about it, I will not talk about it, and we didn't talk about Auschwitz until 1985. One morning I woke up and the following simple idea popped into my head. How about a letter of forgiveness? A Auschwitz survivor gives him a letter of forgiveness to a Nazi doctor. But what I discovered for myself was life-changing. I discovered that I had the power to forgive. No one could give me that power. No one could take it away. It was all mine to use in any way I wished. And that became an interesting thing because as a victim of almost 50 years, I never thought that I had any power over my life. Now, I began writing a letter and I didn't know how to write a letter of forgiveness. 
and it took me four months to write it. I was not quite ready to forgive Mengele. And when I got home, actually, I did something else. I picked up a dictionary and wrote down 20 nasty words, which I read clear and loud to that make-believe Mengele in the room. And at the end, I said, in spite of all that, I forgive you. Made me feel very good that I, the little guinea pig of 50 years, even had the power over the angel of death of Auschwitz. So now that I have forgiven him, I knew that most of the survivors denounced me and they denounce me today also. But what is my forgiveness? I like it. It is an act of self-healing, self-liberation, self-empowerment. All victims, all hurt, feel hopeless, feel helpless, feel powerless. I want everybody to remember that we cannot change what happened. That is the tragic part. But we can change how we relate to it. That's how you handle bigotry. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I'll close you in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for a great day. Lord, thank you for healing the roots of bitterness, the bigot roots, the blaming roots inside of our heart. Thank you for doing great things in the lives of your people at Solid Rock. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Good morning, Solid Rock.
down front, but due to go COVID right now, I'm going to let you stay in your seats and invite the Holy Spirit to minister to you right where you're at today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. God, right now we ask that your Holy Spirit begin to change lives, open hearts, prepare our minds to receive something great from you today. God, we give you all the praise, all the glory. We know good things are in store for those who trust in you. So we thank you for being a good God in our life. We thank you for touching this place today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Let's continue to worship.
Thank you.